You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. And we're live. Hey people, how are you doing? Welcome to episode 177 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. My name is Matt Phillips, creator of runchatlive.com. And as always, this episode is being recorded live on Tuesday at 8 o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel and also on the Facebook page for those of you who prefer hanging out on Facebook. My guest in this episode is going to be John Striven, movement and rehabilitation specialist and founder of Move Well who caused a storm at the recent Therapy Expo at NEC Birmingham with his presentation, Using Natural Movement Coaching and Rehab, A Practical Approach to Physical Literacy. And that's the very topic, physical literacy, that he's going to be talking about with us very shortly. If you have joined us live, people are now coming to the live labs, and thank you very much. Do remember to feel free to ask questions in the comments. And if you're listening to the recording or watching it on YouTube or listening on your preferred podcast app, then do please, please, if you like it, leave a rating and a review. If you don't enjoy it, that's fine. Just go away, go your way and say nothing. But if you do like it and you want to help us spread the good word of our amazing guests, then it really makes a difference to leave a rating and a review. It just helps it appear high in Google. Simple as that. Uh, people are coming in. Just before I bring up my guests, just to say hi to people who have chosen to join us and give up their time. Nikki Mansfield, or you always, says Nikki. Thank you very much for joining us, Nikki. John W. is here as well. Gary Benson, founder of the STA, is in the house as well. We've got Glenn Murphy. Hello, all says Glenn. Basically, if you do leave a comment, I can bring it up on the screen on YouTube or Facebook so you can share your beautiful face in the case of Glenn Murphy or your beautiful logo in the case of Amy Tester. Um, listening while driving says Amy. Oh, Amy had joined us. Wow, she's really pulling out stops for you, John. She was very keen to join us tonight. Just keep your foot just gently on that accelerator, Amy. Okay, take your time. Um, and also, Ryan Llewellyn is with us as well. Hi, I'm new here. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, you can have a little conversation amongst yourself. Obviously, probably all soft tissue therapists, you can talk amongst yourselves. Feel free to network, um, but also, yeah, chuck in those questions as and when. Right, so that is everything done. So what I shall do, without further ado, is bring up our guest for tonight, John Scriven. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey John, how are you doing? Good evening, Matt, how are we doing? I'm very well. I'm just thinking now, I've never actually, I refer to Peter other people as John. Is it Scriven or Scriven? Scriven. Oh, fantastic. Scriven. I'm just thinking, right is it Scriven? Yeah, of course it is. I just doubt myself. It's a natural tendency I have. Um, people are still coming in, John. You definitely attract... Oh, you've got Mike Grice. Only Mike Grice has joined us tonight in person as well. Hi, Matt and John. I was actually going to talk a little bit about Mike Grice tonight. Well, there you go. Well, now you can't. <laughs> here. <laughs> um, Siobhan Mallet is here as well. I love the name Siobhan because I always used to... Remember Banana Armour? You're not old enough, are you? <laughs> I had a real thing for... My real name is Siobhan. Fahi, which is Irish, she was the kind of wacky one out of the three of them. But I always, until the age of 25 or something, thought her name was Siobhan, and that's how I pronounced it. Uh, for me, Siobhan was Siobhan, and then someone told me that's actually Siobhan. So it always makes me laugh when I see a Siobhan come in the room. And Liz is here as well, Liz Durden Myers, looking forward to hearing John discuss PL. There we go. Good turnout tonight, John. Well done. Congratulations, <laughs> you're famous. <laughs> it's, it's downhill from here, mate. You made it. Um, so how are you, first of all? Very well, sir. Thank you very much. Um, we are enjoying having our two-year-old um, and learning movement from him and empathy and all those great things that children teach us to do. So uh, we're rushed off our feet at the moment, but uh, in a lot of love. I love that, learning movement from your two-year-old, just watching and, and learning and then practicing. Honestly, Excellent. you know, if we want to learn how um, adults learn movement, we look at children. No one teaches them to move. They learn themselves. We just create the environment, right? So ecological systems and dynamic systems and we're already in we're straight we're in pedagogy, pedagogy. <laughs> um we uh, there will be a, a um, kind of a source in the show notes and literary explanations and definitions for tonight i'm warning now with john we, all the words you don't understand we will put them on fine i'm not sure i totally understand them but <laughs> we've got liz dad and myers in the room i think i might be getting some help <laughs> Oh, excellent. That's good. That's good news. Um, Therapy Expo. Those, not, obviously, not all our listeners went to Therapy Expo. Um, in fact, it's a real 
wake-up call of how many therapists, like in the STA, for example, Sports Therapy Association, there's 2,000 plus members. And I think, I'm not sure, I think it was like in the hundreds of people who made the Therapy Expo, because not everyone can. The expense, and maybe not everyone's heard of it. But I think it was your first time there, was it, this year? Yeah, yeah, first time and very enjoyable. I mean, I've spoken at a few conferences before in in, um, in the area of physical preparation and strength conditioning, um, but not quite to the Skeletherapy Therapy Expert. I understand that four thousand individuals were there, and it was it was nice because as opposed to having typical lecture theatres, you know, it was all open plan and people could come and walk out and join as they got interested and walked past. So it was it was nice. I, I really enjoyed that layout, and it, actually, I think the shorter presentations serve for maybe a better learning experience. Yes, uh, and it was definitely popular. It was lovely. I was obviously I was keeping an eye out, even though I was in the STA theatre. And I particularly liked it when you had everyone down on the ground and you were doing the thing. <laughs> and it was like, he's now at home. He's just got everyone off their benches and just sit on the ground. And it was like, yeah, he was living. He's like a pig in. Oh, well, we can't say that. But anyway, um, and it's interesting as well, because we should mention, you've got like 20 years of, of, I think, working with very advanced athletes as well, which we'll talk about in a sec. But you've suddenly thrust yourself into the world of soft tissue therapy. What are you doing? You're doing the level five course with Anna Maria at the school. Yeah, well, interesting. I'll tell you a little secret, and particularly as, my, uh, as Mike Grice is here, um, Mike taught me level three sports massage 15 years ago, and um, I was very honoured to have uh, the type of training he gave me back then. And um, some of that stuff I still use now. So I've been um, a student of movement. Um, literally longer than the last 20 years i mean i remember watching my brother he was a international 400 meter hurdler training in the garage and um that experience as we'll talk about existentialism later and, and how that philosophy affects your development and, and how you see the world and certainly that experience young just made me fall in love with movement and around those individuals and the people he trained with and i went through yeah just love movement um as you say 20 years worth of um I suppose I call it movement coaching experience as opposed to high performance experience because mm-hmm. um, those individuals we worked with, although they were performing individuals, um, it ranged from the 13-year-old uh, talented individual all the way through to the world champion. Um, and probably I, I tried to count, I had a colleague and when we sat down, we tried to count how many individuals we'd worked with over the years and, and it's in the thousands. So I've been on the shop floor in the trenches for a long time and um, at this point I to further my learning of movement, I wanted to study at a clinical level um, to kind of complement what I'd done on the practical coaching side and see if I could merge them together. And, and I kind of felt that that was maybe where the industry would be going. And um, I'm excited to say that seems to be quite a, a positive way to go. So, yeah. It's very interesting. And like, I mean, you landed on your feet. I mean, starting from Mike and, and now you're with Anna Maria, you, you've managed to get into schools and being in schools who are forward-thinking, evidence-informed. But I'm, as I'm sure you're aware, Nana Maria has kind of taught, there's a lot of kind of misconceptions still out there, particularly in, with regards to massage and manutherapy and stuff. So, mm-hmm. but so far, it's been quite an interesting experience. Has it been able to draw parallels and discover new things and new reflection? Yeah, and I, and I think this is the thing that I want to talk about today is that irrespective of which area of movement you work in, the, the, the common denominator or the golden thread is movement Mm -hmm. and the movement science shouldn't differ whether you're in soft tissue therapy or osteopathy or whether you're in chiropractic or physio or you're a sports coach those fundamentals of kinetic and kinematic variables don't change the body is still the same right and it responds in the same way so um there's more commonality that i see across all the professions and having managed and worked with those individuals um whether that be in a high performance setup um whether that be in a rehabilitation setup, uh, that common language is so important. And I do see a lot of um, common grounds. And certainly, you know, with the new evidence bases coming out, the biopsychosocial model, and um, that's really powerful stuff. Um, and it's nice to be able to learn that in the clinical setting and apply that in a rehab world. So it's, it's been wonderful to apply both sides. And there's a lot to take from movement coaching and add into soft tissue therapy. And hopefully, what I'm hoping I'll, I'll be is the bridge that gaps those two really powerful areas and, and also trying to add in some of the physical education stuff we've done in the past as well. So that's that's my ambition. And hopefully I'll be uh, looking forward to the future, provide some courses around how to do that and what it looks like practically on the shop floor. To be the bridge. That's good. I like that. Um, we'll, we'll get together. Let's give it six months and then we'll see. 
how far that bridge is traveling. I think we'll start off. I wasn't sure where to start off with you, but um, I think what we'll do is you shared an image the other day, which as far as I can see is the inspiration for your Move Well logo. So I thought I'd bring that up. You can talk us through it and the content of it. Obviously, people um, who listen to the podcast, you can't see this image. So I'll just give you a little description of what it is. Basically, it's the the symbol of Move Well. So check out John on Instagram, Move Well Jersey on Instagram, is it? Yeah, Move Well Jersey. Yeah, Move Well Jersey or on Facebook. Look up Move Well and it's movewell.je if you're looking in the in the search bar. Um, but it's got um, kind of, I suppose, the idea is they're all flowing together and there's no beginning or end. But we've got one, two, three, four, five, four words going around the outside and then physical literacy, literacy in the inside. And the four words around the outside are physical, going in a particular order, cognitive, social, and then psychosocial. Um, so, yeah, John, I mean, is that a good way of starting to describe what physical literacy is, is kind of all about? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I have to honour um, Margaret Whitehead, or Professor Margaret Whitehead, and, and Dr. Liz, Dun- Liz Dad and Myers, who's actually in the room, and, and we're very lucky to have Liz. And I would say for anyone that really wants a a huge background, a much more in-depth background than probably I can provide. Uh, check out some of Liz's work. Uh, she's got um, P Scholar. It's, a, it's an amazing website and resource. Um, but yeah, effectively, what you see in front of you are, are the domains that um, essentially in, in, in the modern definition of physical literacy, which really was established in the mid-90s by Margaret Whitehead, looking at, I suppose this draws quite, closely to the biopsychosocial model this holistic approach to developing uh, physical activity and, and physical literacy is the underpinning um, constructs of what might encourage someone to be more physically active and take responsibility for physical activity for their whole life so you have these these four key areas and, and fundamentally the um, the psychological aspect uh, is looking at the confidence and self-esteem and does that person possess those aspects and does the individuals that work with those individuals honor that and nurture those aspects? Because without being confident and self-motivated to move, the individual's not likely going to take that up for life. And it may, they may not take up the exercises that you give them. As we know, as therapists, um, you'll provide some exercises and to get buy into that is really difficult. Um, so we need to make sure that we nurture them to become more confident. And these are all interrelated and mutually dependent upon each other. So, yes, yeah, so we have the, the confidence um, and the self-esteem aspect, which is the, the psychological piece. Um, we have the physical competencies. So these are looking at the, the capacities and capabilities and, and can they move well? Do they know how to well? And can they employ that in multiple different environments and situations? So we're not just talking here about can I do a pull up in the gym? It, it's looking, can we apply? Do we have the variability and adaptability to go out and apply our physicality and the skills of physicality into any situation. Um, We also have a cognitive piece here, which looks at the knowledge and understanding. So does the person possess the appropriate knowledge and understanding to take responsibility for physical activity for life? And do they really understand why they're doing it? I don't know if anyone's looked at um, Atomic Habits by James Clear and there's sort of five key principles to creating a habit. The first one, is it obvious why they need to do it? And the, the cognitive piece is really developing that understanding as to why they need to be doing it. And that's what gets buy-in. And, and last is an important social piece here. Uh, do we have the social support structures to ensure that um, we are supported to do what we want to do and to develop, whether that be our training programs or our, um, rehab programs, to, to make it easy in our life? And sometimes that might look like a supportive family member or, or a friend that you go and exercise with. Um, so you have these interrelated domains. And what, re, taking this back to the philosophy of physical literacy, um, there's a philosophy called monism. And it talks about how the brain and body are, are connected. And this has roots back in um, Aristotelian physiology. Uh, sorry, uh, not as physiology. <laughs> um, um philosophy apologies and it's just the brain and body totally connected and have been working together for millennia to ensure that we um nurture the brain and the body together and that it's an integrated system whereas for a long time and a lot of our work within physical activity and rehab has been dualistic where we look at the brain and body as separate we train body parts and we don't think about 
the brain. And for a long time, we felt that the brain was of a higher function than our body and the brain came first. But we've realized now that our body and brain are completely connected and one nourishes the other. And I want to talk about movement nourishment and how that nourishes our brain. Some uh, neurologists think that the only reason why we have brains is for the development of complex adaptable movements. And that's why our brains have developed such powerful pieces. In fact, 80% of the neurons in our brain are in the cerebellum, um, which is really totally dedicated to complex movement tasks. So I think, I don't know whether I've done a good job there of describing physical literacy, and uh, Liz might... Uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. No, good job. Yeah, yeah. But just in a nutshell, you're talking about the confidence and self-motivation, the physical competence, the knowledge and understanding, and the social support that ensures that we are physically active and take responsibility for physical activity for the rest of our lives. Excellent. Right. Um, this is... Um saying thanks for the shout out john doing a fantastic job john and great to see pl shared across a fantastic network amazing so there you go boss is saying you're doing all right so far john um so right i mean there's a few things which are going through my head at the moment first of all you mentioned biopsychosocial i like the way this is clearly um it's not one or the other the danger of the biopsychosocial i think where some problems have come is, is people are saying oh it's bio no it's not a psycho no it's social and, and having that one word people that cut that concept of flowing and like you said and, and not mutually dependent and stuff is is lost whereas here it's again back to the kind of yin yang thing aren't you it's kind of like all together which is which i think is really important for therapists because mm -hmm. we do tend to take things at face value what i'm wondering about is because the biopsychosocial was never really used as a model for explaining pain. That was kind of, it's another quip which some people complain about. As this, do you think this has got a place with, with describing maybe factors involved with pain? Is there a link there between this and movement? Or do you think that's a slippery road to go down? No, I, th I think so. And I think this is a piece of work that Liz and I would like to look at is how do we, how do we place this into the clinical context and, and what are the, um, what's the Venn diagram or the similarities? And there are a lot of similarities. I mean, if we look at the physical aspect of physical activity or the physical literacy diagram, we look at the bio aspect of Engel's model. We see, a, you know, a huge similarity there. The same with the, the psychological, and, and the social piece. I think probably one of the key determinants here is that looking at the, the cognitive piece, the development of education and, and the pedagogy. How do we deliver that to, to young people or to individuals that education fundamentally underpins a lot of this because we, we have to know why we're doing it. And that's the bit with the biopsychosocial model that maybe is lacking slightly um, is around education, the cognitive aspects to it. So although you could make an argument, you know, within the psychology realm of the biopsychosocial model it sits in there so i think it, it's a it, it nicely um integrates and i think both models are really useful i, I think the biopsychosocial model probably has been a, a bit more placed in the prevalent literature recently around pain and physical literacy is around physical activity so i think both models are very useful and, and i use both on a daily basis i think it's being one of the advantages of being old which now you know how old i am is that i have seen progression from people talking about newer matrix and that sort of stuff and then kind of moving on to the bps model and people going oh hold on there's some problems with that as well and it feels like now potentially physical literacy could become the next thing which people are talking about and will hopefully help loads of people um, i'm glad you mentioned um the whole brain body division i remember years ago when twitter was good um professor mick thacker kind of called me out missed the conversation and, and warned me about this thing called meological fallacy and I was like that was before I'd even become aware that there was a meological fallacy and he went into it and I was like yeah yeah I do understand what he's talking about and I looked it up and it and it was really it was back in the time where there was a problem between people thinking pain was in the head because that's the kind of thing that Mosley and Butler kind of people were taking from it and in fact Mosley and Butler were probably guilty to a certain extent of giving that impression with some of the stories and things and, and games they play but it seems like now, happily, we're moving away from that. We really are kind of looking at all of these systems working together or maybe not and, and just embracing the person and the ecosystem around them together. So it's a really helpful thing. Um, do you think there's any drawbacks of another system coming along and, and people maybe putting everything into it? Are you aware or do you look for potential flaws in, in therapists adopting this and, and maybe missing the point a little bit? No, I think this is a natural evolution, um, personally. Uh, and certainly, 
the biopsychosocial aspect, you know, it's been around for a long time. I think it was out in the 60s, the biopsychosocial. Right? So, you know, it's been in the, in the literature for a long, long time. And um, physical literacy is really building upon that and adding more domains uh, into it. And I, and I think it's it sits, when we look at physical literacy, it, it, it sits to serve a higher function, which the biopsychosocial model doesn't quite achieve. And this is the piece around human flourishing and the human embodied experience. And that, you know, we all as a common factor are here for one purpose, in my opinion, and people can argue with me, and I'm, I'm really happy for that. Um, but we're here to help people fulfill a better life. And we're here to help people enjoy and, and embody their physicality and, and, um, and have as good a life as possible. That's fundamentally has to be a, a, a common thread between what we do. And, and that may be by reducing pain, that might be by coaching them to move uh, and explore. And this, the physical literacy piece enables that physical activity, that flourishing to happen. And it has a really important contribution towards human flourishing. So that really high level, sort of almost why are we here type level. And physical literacy can help drive that. And then we all sit in an important part of that physical literacy journey as therapists and play a really important role there um, to help that individual flourish. Um, so so it, it provides this language that's joined up allows us to all pull in the same direction. I often think within you know, physio and strength training and PE, we're kind of all pulling in, in, we're all in silos, pulling in different directions, trying to achieve the same thing, which just seems madness. But actually, if we all pull in the same direction and put our resources towards one common theme, physical literacy, we'd actually have much uh, better outcomes. Um, we kind of know that shared language and what we're talking about and support each other a bit better. So I think it provides that, that golden thread and uh, that common language, and it will. I think in the next ten years, we're going to see this um, be the glue that binds us all together. That's beautiful. You're going to be the bridge. The bridge. Joining <laughs> the bits and the glue. The bridge and the glue. It's fantastic. No, it sounds. It's hopefully we were having this conversation in ten years' time, and 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 yeah, it'd be great. Um, I'm interested in putting this into practice by by having a little chat about some of the things you've done. One of the things that I was particularly interested in was I'm going to bring this up on the screen as well um, just so people can see it was your um, involvement with physical literacy in children um, and I read fascinated about the work you did I think back in 2018 for mm. what's called the global matrix um, mm. on the screen now you can't see it people on the podcast but listen to podcast mm. but um, you've got the screenshot here which is from the active, uh, active healthy kids website which I recommend you all go along to links will be in the uh, show notes and then previous to that, uh, Global Matrix 3.0, uh, which you were very much involved in, um, in Jersey, which where you're based. Um, can you talk us a little bit about that and how that links maybe to physical literacy and, and some of the success maybe that you think can be done by adopting physical literacy in that population? Yeah, so, um, you know, I was, I was very fortunate at the time to be working for charity, which mission was athlete pathway and physical activity physical literacy development and um, I was able to set that up and, and kind of take it where I wanted to, to go with it and I spent um, six months doing a literature review of strategically what we wanted the business to look like and um, and what it meant to support physical activity in the community and, and, and indeed how physical literacy fitted inside that and actually my, my knowledge and understanding of physical literacy came really from doing that literature review although I should say and um, I need to point out, and I think Liz will be happy that I do this, that some of the physical literacy research that was done initially um, came out of Canada, or, or they, they popularised, I should say, and it was very much a motor skill based oriented. So they, they described physical literacy as being fundamental movement skills plus fundamental sports skills equals physical literacy. We now know that that isn't or wasn't correct. That's part of physical literacy and sits within the, the part of the physical competency side but as we know we've talked about it's much broader than that so I was I was quite excited to um, get involved with through that literature review this is before I knew Liz uh, Professor Mark Tremblay and he um, is quite a, a, a I suppose one of the world's foremost researchers in, in physical activity um, incredible amount of publications and presentations and books and so on and so forth and uh, they ran a, a, a a monitoring tool and probably now looking back as the research and our thinking has changed um 
we probably wouldn't monitor it in the same way. However, it was the only really tool at the time, and I needed to demonstrate some benchmarking to see where our kids were. And, and I suppose at the very least, it did provide um, some of the fundamental movement skills benchmarking, but it was quite arbitrary um, and wasn't really totally uh, respectful of the physical physical literacy philosophy. Um, but we, we did a huge monitoring program using the Canadian Assessment of Physical Literacy tool. And uh, we measured, uh, cringe even saying measured now, but uh, 3,500 children. We got a quarter of a million bits of data on fitness indicators uh, for young people locally. And we had the most amount of data outside of North America on that. Um, we weren't allowed to publish. It was slightly embargoed because it didn't actually prove brilliantly <laughs> some of the results. But I was able to go and present in, in Canada at the um, International Physical Literacy Conference there um, with uh, Dr. Dwayne Sheenan, uh, which I was very honoured. And that's where I met Liz. And we had a good discussion over a coffee, I think, at the time. And uh, that relationship developed from there. Um, so these and, were, this was happening, just to give a little bit of background to listeners, this was something that was going on in, I think it was 40 odd, 49 countries or something all yeah, over the world yeah, to compare what activity yeah. levels in kids. That's right. So, so, you know, I was invited to take part in the Global Matrix project off the back of that conference. And um, oh, yeah, so we got involved in Global Matrix 3.0, which I think is 47 countries in, wow. in every continent in the world. And the idea was to, uh, to evaluate physical activity in young people, which physical literacy and, and motor skill is part of that. Um, it, it's a common matrix of physical indicators uh, across multiple countries. So we were able to look at how Jersey stacked up against Guernsey, for example, how it stacked up against Canada and so on and so forth. There's 12 key indicators within that. It looks at physical activity, parental support, active play, active transportation, government investment, so on and so forth. Um, and we, we ranked uh, Jersey's physical activity infrastructure um, on a scale of you know, A to F. Um, and against the indicators that Professor Trambley and the, um, the Active Healthy Kids Global Alliance, it was all evidence-based work. And th those common indicators have been evaluated across all those countries. Um, and and we, we, we came out sort of in the middle somewhere, but I was very lucky to do that. and very lucky again to do that last year uh, and be part of that research project. Um, so that's sort of really propelled us forward. And I look forward to again, doing that again for Global Matrix 5. Um, but the nice thing about that is physical literacy now is part of that and, and to really implement and affect change making a difference at the grassroots level with children when they're in their formative stages particularly around recognizing the philosophy of um, existentialism that all our experiences or the ways we view the world are all based on our experiences so we want to provide really good experiences at that stage to really to try and affect some of the um the, the movement illiteracy that we're seeing um, the epidemic that's going with movement illiteracy uh, at the adult stage. I was going so, to say, because that was the conclusion of the global report, wasn't it? That we are kind of, there is a, a epidemic going on with regards to illiteracy and, and it came and it highlighted the reasons for it. Um, it's interesting how different countries measure differently. Um, I'm, I looked into a little bit and there's some really interesting points, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of, but just for the listeners, one of the most interesting things I saw, and I'm not sure how like Jersey or different places in the UK compared to this, but it was the attitude towards physical exercise and whether it was adopted, whether it was recognized by the country as something important to do with like status or, um, for example, they talked about, I think Japan, which in certain categories came very high, if not at the top. Um, Japan had this wonderful thing, which I know probably wouldn't work in the UK, but kids have to be within four kilometers of their school so they can walk it. It's not like, you know, it's just a law, you know, to make sure that kids are healthy. And six kilometers, I think if it was secondary education or something, it's like, it's not like, oh, you have to, you know, this maybe not get a lift or something. It's like school is set up with the idea that you are learning and, and getting healthy, the journey to school as well, which is beautiful, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that's- Absolutely. And, and you're seeing those social factors within the physical literacy matrix, that's so important is, you know, in our society, we may be removing barriers to becoming more active. And uh, I think that's an important point you made up is in our modern lives, you know, we, we talked earlier off, off camera about this evolutionary mismatch. Are we doing what we're designed to do? And 
commonly our ancestors would have walked reasonable distances during the day. They wouldn't have done the one hour binge in the gym after work. You know, it would have been all day movement and they would have walked up to you know, 10 kilometers a day in some areas. So certainly trying to get back to really what our bodies were designed to do and load it in the ways that it was designed to do. So that's a great thing in, in, in Japan. I didn't know they, they had done that. That's cool. But one thing I certainly noticed um, when the researchers came to Jersey is that uh, we have very narrow roads surrounded, surrounded by granite walls. And they said, you know, active transportation is really challenging here because of the, the road infrastructure. So removing some of those barriers, and we've, we've put um, some cycle paths in through the valleys to make it safe and, and active transportation has really started to take off here. Uh, and along with the e-bike scheme has been really good. That's excellent. And I mean, I, I hate saying they've got to find the solutions because we never know who they are. But I think to a certain extent, you know, the, the I think government is one of the factors, isn't it? The yep. what the government are actually doing, and that's I hate saying you know it's, people have to look after themselves as well. But there is a message that has to come from government, and then, then it'll be kind of picked up by the parents or the carers or the people who are bringing up the kids, and then the kids will see it and then create that whole kind of philosophy of well, it's you know this is part of life. You have to be active because that seems to be what's being lost. Mm. Um, no one's being pushed to do it. And it's becoming yep. if anything, it looked out weird if you walk somewhere. I remember in the States, I remember I was over in, um, in Orange County for a while. And over there, everybody, I mean, it's Orange County, then you had some massive truck on wheels and you went everywhere. And then I walked from the coast up to like a supermarket. It was probably like a you know, 35 minute walk. And I got there and, and people said, how did you get here? And I was like, I walked. And they looked at me like, dummy fell out. It's like, you walked all the way here for half an hour. And I just, again, stressed the difference in society and expectations. And we can see to a certain extent, you know, the obesity and the problems they've got, not in all Americans, but it's a massive problem over there just because they're just taught not to walk, not to exercise. But in this piece, Matt, is the fundamental fundamental answer to making the change that we want to see, whether it be in physical activity, whether it be that rehab. And I appreciate we've got lots of rehab individuals and therapists here that will be giving homework, exercise and so on and so forth. If you build facilities, if you give handouts out to people, they will not do it and they will not go to facilities. Some will, but generally they won't. And that's doomed to long-term failure because we haven't honoured the fundamental reasons why people would do it, which is motivation, confidence, knowledge, understanding, socially supported structures. It's like having, it's like making a cake and just putting the icing on the top. That is, you haven't got all the fundamentals underneath. And this is why the work that Liz is doing within the physical education piece is so valuable and where physical literacy is absolutely essential, irrespective of whether it's at child level, whether it's an adult level. If you don't tackle those four areas within your practice, and if I bring this back to therapy, we're not going to get those individuals really to have any long term change. And what are we doing? We're coming in and giving a rubber dub dub. And maybe that's OK. Um, or are we actually trying to affect change in that individual and allow them to flourish as a human? And I would implore everyone to go away with that thought in their heads of how do we actually do that? Because that's really what, you know, for, for me, honest way, that's what I'm trying to do every single session and think about each one of those four elements in my session structure. How am I doing each one of those? Um, so, you know, we, we were talking about some government stuff uh, um, a couple of days ago about facilities in Jersey. If we just build a facility without the knowledge and understanding of why you need to access those facilities, they're almost useless. We have to invest in that educative piece, the physical literacy philosophy, and that will be the thread that and in supercharges or turbocharges our, our treatment. Excellent. I like the way you, you brought it back to the focus now because it's, all, it's, it's like if they've got this, whatever it is, 10 different factors and they, they look at that before setting exercises, um for the, for the patient and they're going to cover much more ground and i guess it forces you to actually have those important conversations mm-hmm. that subjective assessment mm-hmm. to find out what their mm-hmm. home life is like whether they are able to do this whether they are sleeping one and that sort of stuff rather than just prescribing the three sets of ten for this mm-hmm. because the research paper said that's the thing with telephone pain yeah i think there's an interesting piece now be careful what i say because i've said this wrong a couple of times but it, it's it's not just putting hands on and touching people. It's touching people without touching people as well. And I, I think for me, that's really important. How do we empower and how do we create autonomy in that individual to allow them to grow? And, and, and that's how we can affect some of these philosophical underpinnings of physical literature that we know will green light the motivation and, and the outcomes. And that sort of rootedness, this existentialism and phenomenology, I can never say that word very well, um, which... 
ensures that people are motivated to take these programs forward that we're trying to give them and, and allows them to flourish as an individual. Um, you have to create autonomy. They can't just be passive in the treatment. They have to be active in the treatment. And your or my job is to facilitate that. I'm not a, a dictator or a, a, an operator. I'm a facilitator. And um, I try to create an environment that allows them to uncover kind of the movement that they've lost and re-engage with the motivation that they once had and add the knowledge in. Because every child that I've ever seen, bar none, have loved running around. If I look at my toddler and his friends, you can't stop them moving. So mm -hmm. everyone somewhere at some point was motivated without having to be motivated. It was intrinsic in them. That's still in people. We just have to learn the skill of coaching that out of them again. Create the environment to allow them to flourish rather than try and dictate it to them. And I think that that's absolutely essential for me. And that's part of in, in a dip, putting it in a different way, that philosophy of physical literacy. Right, putting it into practice. <laughs> um, what are your top five ways for improving <laughs> physical literacy? No, but give us maybe, maybe some examples. I don't know whether you maybe case histories or just from the top of your head of what therapists should be doing to try and approach a client who's come, maybe they're suffering from pain and they've looked for all the red flags and blah, this and blah, that, and they realize there's going to have to be some behavior change. What are some of the things they should be doing to try and make sure that this outcome happens because of you know going down the physical literacy road? Well, the first one, uh, the first practical one is is about self-development of the practitioner. Um, as I said earlier, the common denominator between everything that we do is movement, whether that's to move without pain, whether that's to get someone to pick up their child on the beach or the, or the grandfather to pick up the child. And put, have you seen that kettlebell advert where, they, where the, the grandfather puts the child on top of the um, on top of the Christmas yes. tree? Right. Chris so Tiley, Chris Tiley exactly special, right. yeah, copyrighted by Chris Tiley. <laughs> yeah. we, we we need to uh, put this on uh, on the chat or on um, underneath because that's human flourishing right that's it and it's an embodied example mm -hmm. so practitioners like myself that maybe have not come into a, a coach have a coaching background or movement background i implore you to look into movement coaching because ultimately if the purpose is to get them off the couch and leave the room feeling better and fulfilling in their life we need to start educating about what movement is and how that is naturally as well. So the first place would be to look into into movement coaching and, and potentially natural movement coaching as well, which um, I'm quite a big fan of these days. Um, so that would probably be my first area. And I don't know whether we should go down the road of talking about natural movement, Matt. Or... I think it's because when you say movement coaches, I know from experience and being there back in the day that to me that 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 kind of gives me images of of corrective exercise you're supposed to move this way keep the knee behind the toe or make sure you do this and it's like you're going to get lined up with all of these squats in a certain way but i'm presuming that natural movement coaches are like totally different than that almost the other side of the coin where it's embracing variety expanding the variability that someone's got with their movement or you summarized it really well there's very little of that old school biomechanical kind of I must know X, Y, and Z, and you have to conform to certain way, like an FMS assessment or something like that. Although an FMS assessment still, if it encourages someone to have more variability and more adaptability, it's still not a bad thing, but there are no normative standards of how someone should move. And someone's asked me a few times, you know, what does moving well mean? Does that mean it's about a, a you know, certain type of movement? It's not. Mm -hmm. It's about finding how that individual interacts with their environment the best and expanding that as much as you can so natural movement effectively is is looking at how we were designed it's an evolutionary based aspect of of movement science and there's a huge piece around darwinian darwinian medicine and evolutionary science um that's coming into medicine at the moment but i'm certain we'll be filtering and has done in america quite a lot filtered down into um therapy and, and physiotherapy and just like the snc research did in the last 20 years into into um rehab and we've seen that quite extensively but the the, the natural movement sort of differs from functional movement which are, which is what you quite eloquently um described because functional movement during the 2000s went berserk right so we had it's pretty e crazy mike boyle and um yeah, a pull check and all that. I was NASM, and I remember just <laughs> worshiping these two guys from California. And I still, Rodney Corn has, has progressed and evolved, and I still follow him. But yeah. they came over like these Terminators. Yeah. Gary um, Gray and Gray Cook. Yeah, and the whole guys. thing. 
not to yeah. not to bitch about them because at the time they were amazing educators and we might not be i mean maybe maybe it's part of the natural movement to get where we are today to maybe you mm. know swing the pendulum a bit too far the other way of optimal alignment but but yeah we have to move on from that we have it to was definitely a step forward from the, the bodybuilding approach which is joint mm. total joint isolatory um work into more compound multi-joint approaches but in that in itself they're still not very natural i mean if you compare natural movement as an example to say we're looking at balance to functional training the old days functional training might look like standing on one leg holding something on a on a boso ball you know <laughs> and we, we know that some of the research has debunked that in terms of its effect um from a functional perspective but Maybe from a neurological perspective, there's still some arguments for that. Um, but from a natural movement perspective, that might be balancing on um, on a beam, for example, or on an uneven surface, carrying something. So natural movement, the difference is it's not functional, it's practical. And there's a big difference between that. You know, the functional piece kind of carried across from the S&C and the physio training world, where we were sort of isolating movement patterns or integrating movement patterns in an isolated form. And natural movement training is... Um, is integrated a holistic movement approach that's practical um you, you know for example i mean when i was um learning this I, I was always the guy you know i could i could do you know 10 loaded pull-ups quite comfortably on a fixed set angle bar in the gym i was gym fit and i remember erwin lacour uh, who's the founder of uh, movnat and he said john you are very strong well done but you are useless I said, "What do you mean? I can I can do a, I can do ten pull-ups with you know twenty percent my body weight. I feel quite strong." He goes, oh, "Brilliant! You can do it in a gym on a bar." He said, "There is branch, climb." I just couldn't get up, and he just you know smaller guy, boom, 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 really efficient, and that's kind of the key thing. It's it's a practical, efficient, adaptable movement system um, that is evolutionary. Um, focused or lens borrows from evolutionary science uh, with a developmental sequencing approach so uh, it references and honors how we learn to move as children um, and some of that is about the patterns of movement um, and some of that is about play and ecological systems about how we make the environment um, to reclaim movement as opposed to dictate movement so that might you know another example might be um, in functional training, we look at developing mobility by like banded ankle distractions or knee to wall ankle mobility drill. Um, in natural movement, that might be ground resting positions. Um, and we see that reference in how children sit on the ground or how we might see uh, tribal individuals resting. Um, so we still get the same functional outcome but we also get the practical movement skill of resting on the ground, for example, or, or balancing on that beam. And interestingly, natural movement training has important functional outcomes, but you'll, you might find that functional training doesn't have practical outcomes. And that's the key difference, the practicality and the adaptability and the variability and the mechanotransduction that comes with that type of training. I can see that. And I guess if you're, even if you're training for a sport specific activity, there's probably less limitations with a, from my understanding from natural movement training, you'll be covering all those bases, which are going to happen on the pitch, mm. um, as opposed to maybe functional training, which takes away a lot of the ecosystem around you, which is happening during sport. You might be able to do the single leg squat or something and not move your knee, but that's not going to happen in sport. So I guess, and you've, you've said this, you've worked with all populations, haven't you? You mentioned before you've worked with world champions and things. So I think that's important as well. Physical literacy isn't just for people who uh, are maybe, you know, it makes it sound like if they're physically literate, then they, they can hardly move at all or they've had some systemic disease or, but you can get an athlete who needs training in this as well, I guess, yeah? Yeah. Um, when we look at our movement habits as 21st century humans, um, you, you know, they're bizarre. We compartmentalize activities. So we think about I do this in a gym or I do this on a bike or I do this you know, on the road on, on tarmac or whatever it is. And um, I think about when I train, well, I'm training my legs or I'm training cardiovascular function or I'm training um, for vertical press, for example. And um that compartmentalized, that specialized form of movement really restricts our, our focus and, and it's not holistic in its approach. So when I was working with athletes, you know, you have these guys that are masters of specialisms. You don't actually need to power that up anymore. What they're lacking 
is the base of the triangle. And, and what we found over a long time, if we powered them up anymore, typically most individuals are very strong or overused in sagittal plane extension, right? So we, we typically see lower back stuff, um, we typically see hamstring strains. Um, and we train it like say, right, this is mental, right? Say you brought um, a child into the room or you brought um, a totally uneducated person about sport or an alien. You said, right, watch that rugby game. How would you train them? They're not going to go, wait, we're going to go into the gym and put a barbell on the back and do a heavy back squat. I mean, just look at the movement. Forget the sport. We're biased. We're totally biased to think what it should look like. We should strip that back and just write down the movements that happen in a game of rugby or athletics. Or look at the speed of movement, the amplitude, the direction, um, the um, environmental considerations, the contextual factors. Yeah, the chaos, as Andrew Jackson would say. Yeah, Absolutely right. And... Mm -hmm. Um, when I was training these guys, these, these, uh, if you think about rowers or judokas or, or whoever it was, they were great at judo movement, but they were terrible at other movement. But what we don't realize is that they've trained, think about the development of a vocabulary. You know, we start with letters, then we go into words and we go into sentences and paragraphs and stories. They start at the other end with a story, very specialized, and try to layer on and layer on and layer on a very small um, a very small bandwidth of movement. Like think of it, the roots of a tree, very narrow roots, and they've tried to build the tree as high as possible, but the tree becomes very wobbly. And what happens, the tree eventually falls over. What we need to do is expand the roots of the tree because the wider the roots of the tree, the stuff you don't see in sport, the stuff that you do see above the ground of the tree's roots, the trunk will be thicker and the branches because of that will be much wider. And it allows us to... Um, it allows us to have more movement options, more uh, choices, whether that be for an elite athlete having more choices, more decisions, more cool shots, um, getting into different positions they might not be able to get into. Whether that just be the person that's trying to rehab from the injury, having more options to go out and be more physically active to get that important mechanotherapy that they need. Because those joints and ligaments and tendons need those different types of shears and pulling and pushing and compression and extension that we don't get by simply just doing one dimensional work in the gym without the one legged squats on a boso ball or anything like that is an important part it can be an important part of training but it's a very small narrow focus we're not really considering the biodynamics of movement so we're not thinking about the planes the amplitudes the speeds the velocities the type of force how we produce the force the rate coding uh, all those aspects um so yeah we we are too specialized too simplistic and um mm. too uh unnatural unnatural there you go yeah. so when you bring it back to natural movement we look at all the things that a child does they run they jump i'll give a great example of hamstring rehab in in athletics and a, a really um fantastic way ahead of his time therapist we bring it back to soft tissue therapy gerard mack um for the people that are old enough they might realize that gerard mack was um ben johnson's therapist um a former east gerard east german uh, therapist but um we're going back to the alien coming down from outer space here, looking at how we might rehab that hamstring. Jared said, why on earth would you do it slowly? Why on earth would you stop? You know, we look at, you know, eccentric protocols and isometric protocols. Why would you do that slowly? Because that's not what the athlete has to do. It's not what injured them in the first place. Why are you training with something different to get them back to do something different? That's madness. So they all start with drills where the timing and the rhythm and the execution is similar. So we don't just have a, a force component that's similar, we have a timing component that's similar. And that's why my understanding of the hamstring injury, particularly elite level sprinting, it's not a weakness, it's a lack of timing and coordination that causes the hamstring injury. So when we look at the rehab of that, we must at least honor that aspect as well as the maximum strength development. But you look at kids, you know, people freaked out 20 years ago when I said plyometrics, the best rehab tool you can possibly use. What's more natural than plyometrics? Look at my two-year-old running around the um, running around the lounge and jumping off the top. He hasn't got a two and a half times body weight squat before he starts plyometrics. That's mm. what kids do. That's what animals do. That's how they move. How does an animal rehabilitate? He stands up, starts walking around, and starts acting. You know, we have to think about what's natural, what we're actually designed to do. Broaden that base of the roots of the tree or the pyramid, or whatever you want to look at it, and it will shoot the height of it up much higher. And that's how we lay the foundation for long-term involvement in elite sport. Marvellous. Right. There's so much more we could talk about. Um, and 
I'll mention after we've looked at these questions, I believe there's some courses and things coming out because there's definitely a void of information that I'm sure you'll be able to fill, um, which people will be interested in. We'll put all links um, at the end of the show notes. But we've got a few questions coming yeah, in. I, so that's all right. yeah, I hadn't seen those. Sorry, Paul and Ryan and those so guys. I that. First of all, Nikki Mansfield has said, inspirational, John. I love Emoticon. Your heart, your clients are very lucky humans. Um, thank you, Nikki. Now, jamiegargit.com, also known as Jamie Gargit, has said, John, I subscribe to your view on education. It's an interesting subject. What's your view on what can be considered an important factor, value? A view is that we must encourage people to value health. Um, and it continues. And healthcare in the UK, much of healthcare is free. And as such, some people do not attach a value. That's interesting. Probably a little bit above my station, but <laughs> thank you for the uh, thank you for the question. Um, so I'm just going to read that one more time to make sure I've got that right. So I guess we're looking at kind of this more the psychosocial part of it, and maybe addressing sedentary behaviour and things like avoiding active transportation because they just don't value health. They think someone else is going to fix it, and. That, so this comes back to the fundamental, um, um, the fundamental um, foundations of physical literacy. It's, it's that idea that if we build something, we just expect people to come. You know, we, we're so it's such reductionist way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So the education piece, particularly at schools level, where physical literacy, the PE curriculum, in my opinion, should be a physical literacy based curriculum. At the moment, we work on a. Um, a sports skills based curriculum we specialize kids at primary school i mean it's, it's just mad and we think that and I, and I should say you know even if we said that we really liked you know it's okay to specialize which which i don't believe it is at all you know the sports skills that we think develop good physical literacy or movement skill in my opinion don't mm -hmm. um i'm you know paul's just put a question here about parkour you know where mm -hmm. do those type of things fit you know even parkour itself is a specialization um but i certainly do think that um parkour in terms of some of the skill sets it develops is is a little bit more natural um but yes yeah, so that the education peach the knowledge and understanding of why physical activity is important if we need to get that right down in into primary pe and we need to empower those teachers and give them the time, the resources to better do that. We need to take away elitist assessment out of physical education and make it playful and fun and creative. Create that environment, that, that non-linear pedagogy where those individuals can flourish. It's not about sport. It's about movement and exploration and creativity. And then suddenly we'll start seeing, at least if I'm a little bit biased, in a more of a natural based approach to movement then suddenly they'll start taking responsibility and the ownership and have the motivation to um, develop physical activity of life and then we'll see that reduction in the healthcare spend but at the moment people are, are um, ambivalent about it they are um, someone it's okay I'll break it and someone fixes me we just need mm -hmm. to change that education so the education piece is huge it's massive and it reminds me as well in, in that um in the results of the global matrix thing, it was it picked up on Slovenia, which yeah. kind of came out of the blue, but it kind of said that one of the factors, which is gave them a high score overall, is because there is, and I've never been, but there is this kind of social, this identity, which is based on physical exercise. Mm. And on the national level, on the nation, they're kind of proud you are judged according to your ability to compete and do things like that. Mm. Um, and your place in the world is, is, is in your you know, recognition of that. And again, that's something which, I don't want to slag off old England too much, but it's just, you know, we have turned into a bit of a nation of just sitting and watching others play and expecting them to win if they don't we shout at them and scream at them and say they should die and stuff it's mm -hmm. it's not that identity where us ourselves should be up and you know being judged not on our physical fall in love with movement and physical mm. activity and i think it's difficult to people to fall in love with that when it's one-dimensional it's boring some of the gym stuff i mean it's mad isn't it we drive to the gym often walk up a escalator to get to it to walk yeah. on a treadmill or, or sit on a recumbent bike i mean our whole our whole approach to movement needs to change. And that's got to start with, oh, there's multiple areas where that needs to start with. That's my long-term yeah. life's work, Matt. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, good good question, Jamie. Um, yeah. Definitely true. Yeah, value what people's approach and identity and all that sort of stuff. Let's go to Paul Green, where we kind of mentioned that with the parkour. Mm -hmm. um, Ryan Llewellyn, first time here, Ryan's question. How would you adapt natural movement to someone who has a disability? An example of this would be someone like myself who can't see, wouldn't be safe. 
doing the balancing on a beam exercise. Okay, so visual impairments, doing an exercise, how would you get that natural movement happening? Well, that's in, that's in the art of coaching. And I've worked with many disabled athletes and had absolutely incredible results. In fact, I have to say working with disabled athletes have been or, or participants um, has been some of the most rewarding work that I've done. And we've had really incredible results. And, and what I would say, Ryan, is um, often that community have been um, slightly disregarded and they may not have had the positive or any positive um, physical education experiences. So I find they're very receptive um, often get much better um, commitment from those individuals. So you have to regress and lateralize. Um, but I would attempt to balance beam walk with your own because what I'd want to do is I'd want to power up your proprioceptive vestibular system to help with your movement. So we might not start on the balance beam, of course, but certainly I would take your shoes off, get your feet feeling the ground properly, really get some good sensory exposure into your feet and allow you to do it where you may not be having to use your visual function because the ultimate progression for the balance work is to do it without looking. So in some regards, you're a step of the, you're a head, step ahead of everyone anyway, but we'd re regress that back, really fire up your feet, get in, in contact with the ground, feeding up and down that feed forward and feedback system, that proprioceptive system. Maybe just um, have like, um, you know, those like thin little rubber mats you can get. They're sort of, I don't know, 10 centimeters wide and they're you know half a mil thick but you can still feel them under your feet let's walk across that and then walk backwards and learn to turn on it before we go off the ground but i have had people ryan you know that started that way um who've been visually impaired and did walk on the balance beam and achieved a level of physical literacy that many able-sighted people weren't able to so it's absolutely achievable, mate. And um, really, there's no limit to, to what can be done with natural movement with appropriate regressions and progressions. Great question. Thanks, Ryan. A great answer. Right, look, we're getting close to nine o'clock. So we've got a lot of hungry therapists out there and people listening to the podcast. Um, first of all, yeah, literature. Is there anything you'd recommend if people are interested in diving into this topic and reading up about it? Anything particularly you recommend? Someone who's yeah. studied as much as you? Yeah, so... Um, Liz Meyer's work, please guys check out that. She's um, really taking it on and um, being the shining torch, that the light of physical literacy, uh, the way that she verbalises it and, and, and can speak to that is, is way better than I can. So I would encourage everyone to get this book. And this is Liz's company, Scholarly. I don't work for Scholarly. I have no kickbacks. It's just really, I have to say that any of the mentors that I've had, and I've had many, Liz has been really, really important. And I still consider... Um, I am an absolute beginner uh, compared to Liz. So yeah, this uh, this book here, I've got to read the physical literature. Um, it's a, uh, a guide for educators, but it works for coaches and um, it can summarise really more eloquently than I've put across physical literature. So modest, so modest. I'm going to get you and Liz on the show together. We'll have a battle out. Well, that, that, that would be nice because, <laughs> because probably actually... Um, I say that, Liz, like you want to come on the show, but I'm going to try. I she say, will, try she will. get you on the show. She's John. old, she will. I think, yeah. But I think, I think that's the... the making it practical is really probably the area that i specialize particularly on the physical competency side so um the 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 more f philosophical aspects to it liz uh, would be able to fill that in and really contextualize that from that perspective in, in simple language so that would be good um kevin giles uh, i would check out movement dynamics by kevin giles he's another one of my mentors and he's um he's been gold for the last probably 15 years and guiding me through uh, a physical education. Well, his approach comes from the 1950s physical education curriculum, which he embedded within the Australian athletics, athletic development um, pathway. So that's really cool. It's had, had a lot of work on that. So check out movement. Okay. movement we'll make sure these links go into the show notes. Just yeah, in case yeah, you're listening will. and trying to write them furiously yeah. down. Um, um, Newsflash here, Liz says she's in. I'm just going to take a screenshot yes, of that. Nice, there we go. Nice. I'm in. That's fine. That's legal binding content. This is exciting. We, we're going to make, make a big movement <laughs> about movement here. This is brilliant. You've got, got some uh, heavy hitters on this, Matt. Um, the other one I would guys check out is uh, Ido Portal. Um, uh, movement coach Erwin uh, Lacour uh, for the movement app system and there's a lot of really good free stuff uh, within that so, so check that out um, and, and have a go at exploring natural movement yourselves because actually everyone can do it it's inclusive um, which is a fundamental part of physical literacy um, and every, there isn't an element that I don't think I've ever been able to not teach anyone through it so, so please um, check that out 
Um, and that brings me a nice segue onto anyone can do it, but they need the coach with the skills to be able to give them that confidence, get that behavior change. And that's where, well, you know, do you know what, Matt? I, 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 I agree with that. But natural movement is within, is within everyone. You can do more than you think you can do. And remember, working with someone with an injury is is an injury is, is just movement training around an injury. It's not mm-hmm. anything different. And and I this is sort of my big bugbear. Someone's injured, so they need to stop and we need to lie down and do hamstring curls. It's just madness. You don't need to do that. I wouldn't say I wouldn't do that full stop, but I'd certainly encourage it as a broader piece of physical literacy and get them to have fun and explore. So I'd encourage people to get out, get into nature, into natural spaces where you're designed to be and just go and explore and play and see how it makes you feel and have a go at crawling because you can do it. You just need to remind yourself, have a go at transitioning from up to down and maybe climb over a fallen tree branch or if there's something there, play. And play is as natural to natural movement training as it is to children. And it's a fundamental piece of that. So I'd encourage you to do that. But yes, um, if we're looking at it from maybe a rehabilitation perspective, it might be worth working with a, a movement coach or a therapist trained in movement coaching, which sex me, me onto an element here, which um, I'm getting better at doing. Uh, there will be some educational resources for rehabilitation and specialists, be that chiropractors, physios, um, osteopaths, uh, soft tissue therapists, massage therapists, about how to integrate natural movement training safely uh, in a physically in a physical literacy um, underpinned way or honoring physical literacy and um, research um, and how to operationalize that within your practice. And that's hopefully there's going to be a webinar, I think in February with uh, Anna Maria and the ST school. Um, and then I'm working on a, a wider a movement coaching qualification, which would be a much bigger approach and sort of really applying the 20 years worth of learning I've put in an, and um, um, what's the word? Uh, sort of making that dovetail with rehab. Fantastic. And there'll be stuff coming out, what, 2024? Are we seeing that maybe start to materialise? Yeah, so, so, so the, um, the, the webinar is definitely sort of in early 2024. Excellent. And then the, the movement courses, I don't know, I'm still writing it, um, as you can <laughs> imagine. <laughs> I'm trying to boil it right down. With the two of you all. Good luck with that. Yeah, so maybe 2027, people, keep an eye out. We'll get you back. No, fantastic. Um, and if people want to con- connect with you and watch what you're up to, um, you are on Instagram, Move World Jersey. Yep. Um, and also on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, any, it's either or, depending on people's flavour or... Both fine. You can check yep. out the website, um, movewell.je. So we're in Jersey, not in the UK. So www.movewell.je. Um, mm-hmm. My contact deals on it. Just drop me a message. I'm always happy to chat shop with people. And um, yeah, that, that would be more than happy to do. And I think I think the key thing here is that I, I sort of trying to bring not just the theory of it. I, I'm not actually an academic, although I've done academic training. You know, Liz and those guys, the academics. I'm a real blood and guts shop floor practitioner and to make this operational what does it actually look like and how do we set up a session a soft tissue session or coaching session how do we combine those together to make it really practical in a very simple way so that's kind of what i bring to the conversations and the mentorship that i provide practitioners fantastic paul greenwood has added in the comments here learned so much from working with john great guy great guy it's incredible thank you paul and i worked with it together for a couple of years um at the uh, the, uh the sport foundation Fantastic. And uh, just to give a shout out as well again to Active Healthy Kids website, which is activehealthykids.org. Okay, I would have a little look through there, um, therapists. Uh, Obviously, if you work with with young adults or children, but again, all we've talked about tonight, we haven't really touched on this, but the principles can be put across any population, can't they? It's not something which is limited to old or young or... Humans are more similar than they are different. Clearly, their individual psychology and... and, um... A motivation concept is different but actually the way the bodies move the more similar they are different and we just need to provide nutritious variable adaptable movement skills um, that reference how we were evolved as humans to move and you just look at babies in the first year of life and if that isn't the case i, I defy anyone to try and argue against that because it's just obvious <laughs> very nice right nutritious movement i like that that's, that's good Oh, right. Katie, Katie Bowman, guys, check out Katie Bowman Movement DNA. Well, there's a lot of good stuff in that book. She is on it. On it, right? So you're going to send me a, a little list of these, yeah. yeah, with links, and I'll make sure they go in the show notes because about four or five there, which is great. 
brilliant information as well as your own courses coming up mm. okay people it's 905 so thanks john for giving up your time to join us really appreciate it um next week which will be tuesday the 19th um it's it's the christmas sports therapy association catch-up so gary benson founder of the sta will be here and we're inviting any um sports therapy association member who's got something you want to share who is happy coming up um into the uh, live lounge here as long as you've got a good internet connection and a decent kind of webcam and microphone then we'd love you to come up and share a time with us it's very you can see it's very chilled out and we'll just be talking about the year what's coming up and uh, maybe some of the worries some of the celebrations all that sort of stuff so if you're an sta member and, you, and you're interested in doing that you don't have to commit to it we can have a little chat if you like over the phone or do a little test run then just um email me matt at the sta.co.uk and, and we can chat about that um but for now, thanks again once more to John Scriven. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thanks to everyone who's joined us live, particularly it would seem to Liz Durden Myers, guest to be. Thanks for joining us and taking the time to join us, Liz. We're very, very honored that you would uh, give up your time to be here. And everyone else who comes along to join us live, because it does really make a difference. We really appreciate you giving up your time. It just is what the show's all about. It's all about live. And we do record it, and we love people who listen to the podcast. But it all comes from that spontaneity, that natural process of talking rather than editing it afterwards. And we love natural, don't we, John? I'm very impressed. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> all right, guys. Take care of each other. And hopefully uh, we'll see some of you for the next episode uh, next Tuesday. Take care. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.